0: You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network.
1: Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. When they Hi,
0: this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are
1: listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 28. Today's reading is from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. John bore witness to him and cried, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, for he was before me. And from his fullness have we all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Today's reading is uh, no doubt very familiar to most of us, uh, for many reasons, I'm sure. But one of them certainly is the fact that this reading is appointed for the Paschal or Easter Divine Liturgy. So I thought we might examine this reading today, Father, because you typically don't have an opportunity to do so uh, during that liturgy, as the Paschal Homily of St. John Chrysostom is, is traditionally read at that service. So I'll begin, as I often do, uh, by asking why. Why place this passage on Pascha and not one of the gospel accounts of Christ's resurrection?
0: Great question, Jason, and, and one I'm sure others have. I think our natural expectation would be that on Pascha, on Easter Sunday, as it's called in America, we would hear a scriptural reading specifically about the resurrection.
1: Yes, that's that's certainly what I would have expected, Uh, but I know that there has to be a good reason uh, for it to be otherwise.
0: Of course. uh, To fully comprehend, we have to understand the very basics of the Orthodox liturgical cycle. And that is, following both the biblical day, as highlighted in Genesis 1, and also then the traditional Jewish practice, which comes from Genesis 1, The liturgical day is not the same as our modern-day calendar day. That is to say, the liturgical day begins in the evening and ends then in the afternoon. Again, I refer back to Genesis 1, where we have the definition of a day. There was evening and there was morning one day. Likewise, the Jewish Sabbath, which is Saturday, begins at sundown on our calendar day of Friday evening and lasts until sundown on the calendar day Saturday. So in Orthodox Christianity, our liturgical practice is that the day begins in the evening. And Jason, you know the first service of the liturgical day, the service we have in the evening. Uh, Yes, that would be uh, Vespers, correct? Yeah, correct. So when we celebrate Pascha or Easter, the celebration actually begins with the Vespers service on Great and Holy Saturday.
1: So that makes sense then that we have the celebration uh, after the epistle reading. The one most Orthodox remember uh, when you come out and throw the flowers all over the church uh, that had decorated Christ's burial tomb. And we sing, Arise, O God, judge the earth.
0: Exactly. That's, that's actually the first liturgical proclamation of the resurrection, which, as you said, is at the Vespers service, which in this case is a Vesperal liturgy on Great and Holy Saturday. So this begins our celebration of Pascha. And remember at that point in the service, the point where uh, the clergy comes out and throws flowers, is when the clergy changed from wearing the black vestments they wore throughout Holy Week to either white or gold vestments, signifying that we are now beginning our celebration of the resurrection. And I bring this up because at this service, at this liturgy, we hear about Christ's resurrection as told in the 28th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. So that is the kind of passage you would expect to hear on Easter Sunday, and I want to draw attention to the very last phrase of that reading. You have Jesus mentioning that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, and he instructs his disciples to go out to all the nations and to make disciples for him and to baptize them. Then the passage concludes with this phrase, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And why are you highlighting that, Father? Well, I'm highlighting it because there's a connection between that ending, that last phrase that we hear at the Vesperal Divine Liturgy. Again, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then the first phrase that you hear at the Pascha Divine Liturgy from the Gospel, the one that you just read, where John's Gospel says, In the beginning was the Word. You see, the entire church year essentially revolves around Pascha because it is a new beginning. So at the end of one year, you were reminded that God, through the Christ, through the Messiah, is with you always. And at the beginning, you're reminded he was there from the beginning. Another way to say that is that God's word was there in the beginning and it will be there in the end. Or yet another way, God's word precedes you and it will also survive you. As we hear in the scriptures, we are like breath. We appear and we disappear, but what abides forever is God's word. It was here before us and will be here after us. It is far greater than any of us.
1: It's a very interesting, Father. And as I said at the beginning, I've learned to ask why specific readings are placed where they are, because that in and of itself is of great significance and provides further insight. So what you mentioned in that explanation is that the Word precedes us and survives us. I'd like to pick up on that topic, uh, the Word, because John's Gospel famously begins with, in the beginning was the Word. What exactly does that mean? Uh, what is John referring to there? I mean, we, we certainly know that not just from, uh, from the Orthodox perspective, but just traditional Christian theology that, it has been interpreted as referring to the second person of the Trinity. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, as, as you highlighted, that's certainly been the traditional interpretation, and I'm not by any means arguing against that, but I think we do ourselves injustice when we don't step back and look at the broader picture. Too often we begin from the conclusions that were drawn over 400 or more years of dialogue about what a passage means and then... We read that into the text, oftentimes without fully understanding uh, the actual conclusions uh, that people came to through that 400 years of dialogue. And I think a better approach is to step back and to see the bigger picture and to try not to read that into the text, but to see the text for itself, to see how it connects to other biblical passages and to work through the bigger picture and the deeper meanings of those passages.
1: Well, I, I like what you're saying, uh, but I'm not sure that I fully understand.
0: <laughs> that's fine. Uh, let me let me use an analogy. Let's say my child has a question on their math assignment, and maybe I'm really busy when they ask for help. I think maybe that the question they have on on that topic is not of great importance, and so I sort of cheat, so to speak, by just telling them the answer. You know, that's one approach I could take, and, you know, I'd be lying if I'd said i haven't done that before Uh, but in the end uh, i say that i'm cheating because what i'm really doing is cheating them they aren't actually learning how to solve the problem for themselves so they haven't really learned anything you know they might get a better grade on that specific assignment because i gave them the answer but they have no real understanding of what's going on the alternative is of course much better and that alternative is that i stop what i'm doing and I actually work through the problem with my child so that he or she knows how to get to the correct answer by themselves. It takes more time and effort, but that way you're not cheating your child. You're helping to educate them, helping them to understand the correct answer and
1: how, in the future, to do it on their own. Okay, makes a lot of sense. Uh, So getting back uh, specifically to these first few verses in John's Gospel, can you discuss what is meant by the word? Yeah, so let's even just stick with English. The word
0: word in English is versatile. And the same is true, perhaps even more true, in the biblical Greek and in the broader Greek wisdom of New Testament times. And we could do entire podcasts on any number of these subjects and on the rest of this passage that you read, but let's focus on the first part of this passage and we'll just stick with English but I want to highlight that what I'm saying is by no means unique to English it actually does correspond to the biblical Greek so in any case uh, I would stress that in English and in this specific biblical passage we can understand word in at least three ways the first I'll start with is the most broad it would be a more generic word something that I say Not necessarily even one word, but, you know, like a sentence or two, a brief teaching. And we see this use in the Old Testament. I'll give the first example, which is in the book of Genesis, chapter 15. We hear twice in that chapter that the word of the Lord came to Abram. So the first way to think about this word or this concept of the word is in a broad sense of God speaking to us. The second way to understand it here is as the word of God, which in the Judeo-Christian tradition refers most specifically to the scriptural message. You can see that's related to the first use I mentioned above, but it's more concrete to the scriptural message and how we understand God himself to be speaking through that scriptural message. And then finally, what I would point out is its reference to the incarnate word, the Enfleshed Word, which is Jesus Christ, who is the perfect embodiment of God's Word, of God's teaching, of the scriptural message. And that's why John says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the Greek, it's most literally, He encamped among us. The Word infiltrated in a very positive way, of course.
1: He infiltrated our realm, our world. So, uh, Father, I appreciate those explanations. Uh, So can you sort of tie that together for us on its significance in John 1, and perhaps also on our reading this passage on Pascha at the Easter Divine Liturgy?
0: Absolutely. So what you have here in John is a recognition of what I might call the beginning of the end. Again, go back to Genesis 15, and you have the word of the Lord speaking to Abraham. And as I said, that's in the more generic or broad sense. Then you have the rest of what we call the Old Testament and what both Christians and Jews referred to as the word of God. And remember, the early Christians referred exclusively to the Old Testament as Scripture. The New Testament was referred to as the memoirs of the apostles and the epistles. So what I mean by the beginning of the end is that John is saying essentially that God gave his generic word to Abraham, his more concrete word through the Old Testament scriptures. But now God is giving the most concrete, explicit word he could possibly give, which is that his word, his teaching, his message is being incarnate and fleshed in the actual life of a human being, Jesus Christ. And let me be clear, this is by no means saying that the essential message changes, but rather that God gives the same message in increasingly clear and specific ways, perhaps because we humans seem to be so dense and don't seem to get his message any other way. In fact, look at Genesis 15, where, as I mentioned earlier, is the first reference to the word of the Lord. The fundamental message of Genesis 15 is putting your trust in God, having faith in Him. That same fundamental message is the key point of Scripture, as St. Paul, of course, beautifully elaborates in his writings and is juxtaposed to having faith in ourselves, which is, of course, not viewed positively in Scripture. Again, Genesis 15 and the story of Abraham highlights this as Abraham tries to take matters into his own hands because he starts to distrust God when nothing is happening from his perspective related to God's promise for him to have offspring. And then finally we get to the incarnate word Jesus Christ and the overarching fundamental theme of his life is that we put our trust in God and His promises, His way of life, His teaching. And even when that seems to be going terribly wrong, as we're currently commemorating as we experience and go through Holy Week, which will culminate in a couple of days with the death of Christ, we find out on Pascha and with the resurrection of Christ that God, in fact, is to be trusted. That even when things seem to be spinning out of control, even when things seem not to be working out, as seemed to be the case with Abraham, and which certainly seems to be the case with Christ, especially when you get the Holy Friday and he's hanging there humiliated on the cross, that in fact the God is to be trusted that in the end he will deliver on his word. And so ultimately this is why we read John 1 on Pascha on the primary celebration service for Easter. It's a reminder that God's word precedes us and it will survive us. We humans come and we humans go, but God's word abides forever. His word was in the beginning and it will be in the end. And we human beings, therefore, would be wise to put our trust not in ourselves, in our own understanding, our own accomplishments, our own deeds, but rather that we should put our trust in the word of God, his teaching, his scripture, his incarnate word, Jesus
1: Christ. Very helpful discussion today, Father, thank you. We began today's episode by revealing why we see John 1 read at Pascha rather than an account of the resurrection. Father Aaron reminded us that the liturgical day begins in the evening, and so we begin the Paschal celebration with the Vesperal Liturgy on Great and Holy Saturday. At this service, we see the clergy change their vestments from the black worn during Holy Week to either white or gold and we see the priest come into the congregation joyously throwing flowers that once decorated Christ's tomb throughout the church. And we hear a reading from Matthew 28 that concludes with, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. At Pascha the following day, we hear from John 1, In the beginning was the Word. Because the church revolves around Pascha, we end our year with a reminder that God's Word was there in the beginning and then turned to the promise that the Word will be there in the end. God's Word abides forever. We then turned our attention to what John refers to in his gospel as the Word. Father Aaron explained that while traditional Christian theology has provided a well-known interpretation, there is more that could be said here. We can understand Word to be a statement or a brief teaching, such as when God spoke to Abraham. It can also be understood as the Word of God, the scriptural message. Finally, the Word can be understood to be the incarnate Word, which is Jesus Christ. With this in mind, we can comprehend that God first gave His Word to Abraham, then through His scriptural message, and finally culminated with the Word incarnate, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, Alleluia, alleluia Glory to Thee, O oh God. Alleluia, 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 glory to O God.